0: Okay, so hi everyone, welcome to what is our now um, the eighth episode of the COVID nineteen and democracy podcast. It is the twelfth of December, and we are just a few weeks away from the UK ending. Well, it's Brexit of a sort. We've officially Brexited, um, but we're going to be leaving the transition period in a few weeks' time, and that also coincides with what is the worst period um thus far in the COVID-19 pandemic and in, in the UK and other parts of Europe as well um and uh, the in the US as well so the UK is not alone in experiencing that but we are alone in experiencing kind of the tribulations of leaving the European Union and the COVID-19 pandemic at the same time um Oh sorry I should have said I'm Dr Pete (laughs) Finn and I'm from Kingston University and with me today is my colleague um, um, Robin Pettit of um, Kingston University as well and to say that Robin is qualified to talk about these topics is probably a huge understatement. He has written extensively on British politics um, both um, single authored books and then contributed to textbooks and journal articles he has written about the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK in a project as part of this project and so uh, also is this is his second time on this podcast he's our first guest to return and so we thought given that we are so close to well, in theory, maybe close to either knowing whether or not there's going to be a deal or or no deal or a fudge, um, it might be a good time to have Robin back on. So, thank you very much for joining us on a um, Saturday evening, Robin. It's very My much pleasure. appreciated. My pleasure. Um, so, just for our listeners, and I guess I suppose those, especially those who aren't based in the UK, um, uh, could you give us an uh, update on both? I guess, separately, both on COVID-19 and on Brexit?
1: Sure. So on COVID-19, we have had the, obviously we've come out of the second lockdown, which were promised wouldn't happen, but happened, and have come into a new three-tier system, um, a stricter three-tier system than the one before the second lockdown, which suggested that the previous three-tier system wasn't working hence why we needed the second lockdown. And we're now in a situation where the vast majority of the country is in either tiers two or three. So the the middle and bad tier, with tier one being less bad. And only uh, two very small areas of the UK are in tier one. Everything else is in tier two and three.
0: Yeah, isn't it about 1% of the population or something?
1: Yeah, it's a tiny amount that is in tier one um i think it's basically cornwall and the isle of Wight, something like that um and the big question is what direction things are going in and certainly for london which obviously some of us have a particular interest in being as we are based in london as a university it's heading towards tier three
0: yeah it seems next week is going to be
1: yes uh so determinations will be made, and obviously a a big development will be what happens with Christmas. Uh, Not least the fact that we have tens of thousands of students, hundreds of thousands of students potentially traveling around the country at the moment, Uh, and also a relaxation of uh, restrictions to allow people to have something assembling a normal christmas and the big uncertainty is how much that will uh, undermine the efforts to control covid-19 and that there are concerns that we will be heading into a third wave in the new year obviously that's in the future but that is what that is the talk at the moment the extent to which we will be facing a third wave in the new year
0: yeah and and then potentially a third lock down to uh, pens obviously we'll have to bad. wait and see i mean let's hope not but um yeah we will have to
1: obviously if the if the third wave becomes as bad as the first and second wave then obviously they, we would be talking about a third lockdown yeah. and then throwing into all of that is the fast approaching end to the brexit transition period the transition period being designed to allow the UK and the remaining e 27 EU countries to come up with an agreement on what the long term relationship was going to be. Um, that is still ongoing and has now reached its umpteenth deadline. Yeah, I think we
0: were on about the
1: 17th. Goodness <laughs> knows how many deadlines. Final, final deadline, yeah. right? Every time someone talks about the deadline, it has become increasingly clear that it's not a deadline. Because, And that that in itself says something, that this is so critical, I mean, especially for the UK, because we are the smaller uh, entity, but also for the European Union, that this is so important that no one has as yet been willing to say, okay, that's it. Yeah, no one's
0: walked that. away, right? No, one's, no one uh, has
1: walked away. There's been hissy fits along the way, mainly from the UK. But the seriousness of the situation, I think, is illustrated by the fact that no deadline has been a deadline. That every single deadline so far has been breached. And what has happened at every deadline has been, we, we, we haven't reached an agreement, but we're going to continue talking.
0: Yeah, it's a bit like a long game of chicken that we've been living in for... Um...
1: It kind of is, and it's, it's one where we are getting closer to the final clash. At the moment, there is no mechanism for extending the transition period. Um, but as our colleague Donald Ron Ranter said in, a, in our recent event on these things... It is possible that the kind of agreement that will be made is might be something like an extension of the transition period by another name.
0: Yeah, you can kind of see the parameters that coming out a bit right with the well, you you'll be able to land planes for six months, and we'll have some that kind of thing. You can see the you can see the parameters of it. It's not quite a no deal, but it's not quite a deal. It's a, yeah, some and, sort and of.
1: The, the, the extent to which the UK and the European Union are integrated is such that you can't just stop. You can't just not have anything because goods are flowing, planes are flying, pipelines are running and it can't just stop. Yeah, I mean, there's currently... So something has to... There has to be something in place.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's currently... So, I mean, it's hard to know just going by what's in the news right there's you know miles and miles of traffic jams <laughs> over the channel right <laughs> to to get to get goods into the uk yeah. and because companies are stockpiling to yep. to to make so that they can ease their way through the changes okay that was a brilliant summation thanks a lot um and so one of the reasons why i asked for this uh second kind of discussing with you was because in my mind and I'm not sure whether this is just me or whether it's because just because they're happening at the same time is that these two sort of tensions or crises whatever label we stick on them in British politics are at least in my head they're interconnected but I understand that but practically they're different right Brexit is a different crisis to COVID-19 but because they're happening at the same time they are whether we whether we like it or not they're interrelated so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have this they are
1: obviously very different things one is a political crisis and the other one is a medical crisis but the fact that they are happening at the same time obviously means that they do impact on each other Uh, I guess so so to some extent I don't think I don't think COVID-19 has dramatically impacted on the Brexit process. I, if, if COVID-19 had not happened, I, this is obviously counterfactual, but even if COVID-19 hadn't happened, I still think we would be in this oh, situation. We'd still be with here, right? With the... Because the, 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 problem is, the problem with Brexit isn't COVID. The reason why we haven't got an agreement isn't because there wasn't enough time. Obviously, COVID nineteen and the various lockdowns ate up a lot of time, but that time would just have been filled with more meetings that didn't go anywhere.
0: So, yeah, sure.
1: So yeah. I mean, They just the, would have
0: had to wear masks in the meetings. That's all.
1: Essentially, and and they, so th- there would have been more meetings because, I obviously, a, a lot of time was eaten up by, by lockdowns and whatnot. But I just the the, the problem, the reason why we are, we are where we are, isn't because there wasn't enough time is because the problem is essentially unresolvable. The problem is that if you want access to the European common market, extensive access, you need to follow the rules of that market. That's just how it works. And we don't want to as a country, as a, as a political system, at least our leadership, the whole point of Brexit is to not have to follow EU rules. But if you want to have access to the single market, you have to follow EU rules. It's a bit like you can't so have you, your cake and eat it. Uh, you can't <laughs> have your cake and eat it. And there is, no, there is no solution to wanting access to the single market and not wanting to follow the rules. There is no, there is no solution to that. Um, so the only the, the EU isn't going to say, "Oh, okay, well, we we won't follow you. You can don't worry about it. You can you can have access to the free to the single market and not follow the rules." That's never going to happen. Of course, it isn't. Um, so the only the only alternative to no deal is for the British government to cave to some extent on their reluctance to follow EU rules, and the the. The unwillingness of the UK government to agree to follow EU rules is why we are where we are. And and you it, it can sort of under I mean, per, you can debate whether Brexit makes sense at all, but it clearly doesn't make sense if you are still going to follow EU rules. Then yeah, there's no then point. Then
0: what would to be it. the point of the,
1: the whole? Um, so. So. <laughs> The whole, the whole point was to regain British sovereignty, or, the, or an, uh, one idea of what sovereignty means. Uh, and having an agreement with the European Union would involve giving up some of that notion of sovereignty. And that's why we are where we are. And Bre- and COVID doesn't have anything to do with that.
0: Okay, that's um, really interesting. So we,
1: w- we would probably always have been ended up in this situation. More time isn't going to make an agreement more likely, because the problem is essentially the, the, the two the two things going on, wanting access to the single market and wanting not to follow the rules are incompatible. Definitionally incompatible. So so the the impact that COVID nineteen is having and will have is obviously that the UK has already suffered and like everywhere else, suffered massive economic damage from COVID-19. And we are going into the end of the transition period with that damage already there. And that would obviously leave the UK in a weaker situation in terms of Dealing with the outcome or the, the fallout from whatever kind of Brexit it's going to be, there's going to be damage regardless of the kinds of deal that is potentially on the table. There will be damage, and that will be added to the existing damage of COVID nineteen. So that's the way that they're, that they're related. That they're having an impact on British, okay. in British, the British economy, and they're both going to have that. The difference there i guess is that the covid damage is going to stop happening hopefully at some point soon if the vaccine is successfully rolled out and we can start returning to some form of normality then that's that that damage will stop happening the brexit damage isn't going to stop happening anytime soon yeah (laughs) that's
0: very well put um i just wondered on this so i do wonder no, I mean this is a, maybe this is me being very cynical about politicians, but politics is a cynical game right mm-hmm. um, i I wonder whether the kind of the economic and kind of societal damage done by covid nineteen and um, and this isn 't in any way to suggest that any politician is in favor of that right they obviously or would have rather not have this pandemic but has it come at a, uh, it's a A time in which it could be used to, like, if so, when there's economic damage moving forward, at least in the medium term, the government can say, well, it's not to do with Brexit, it's to do with COVID 19. I wonder if that is that, is it like an interchangeable excuse? It's
1: going to be, to some extent, it's going to be difficult to entirely separate out what is caused by COVID and what is going to be caused by Brexit sure um there are certain things that you will be able to see I.e., if if companies move out of the uk and back into the common market you will see well that's not covid that's That's not covid but yeah but then the, the the way in which those jobs for example are moving the the damage that's doing it will be difficult especially for people who are not you know most people don't follow politics don't follow economics just go through life um, very sensibly um, so it's going to be it, it's going to be difficult to separate what is caused by breaks and what is caused by covid and i guess another thing that's been talked about is that the COVID, As I said before, the COVID damage is going to stop happening, which will obviously help the economy. Uh, so it might look like Brexit is less bad than... Oh, it yeah. might appear less bad. Because you'll get
0: a bounce,
1: like there a will counter be a, bounce, right? There will be some kind of bounce from the end of COVID, which... So hopefully kind of uh, next summer you will... Well... <laughs> Economic activity will increase as COVID is brought under control.
0: Yeah, it just inevitably will. Uh, Yeah, sure.
1: So that it might look like things are improving. So you're going to have to look at the numbers quite probably quite carefully and with an expert eye to see where the Brexit damage is happening. And the vast majority of people are not going to do that because People haven't. People have lives to live. Um, (laughs) Only people
0: like me and you will be. (laughs) Well, exactly. We
1: we will pay attention, and we will probably struggle to understand it ourselves. I'm sure. Um, So it's possible that the Brexit damage will, to some extent, it will merge with and be mixed up with what is happening with Brexit. Okay. Um, they are two very big crises happening at the same time. So to separate them is going to be tricky. Uh, and obviously any government coming out of a crisis will point to any improvement in the economy as being a great thing um, and that doesn't matter what government it is any government and take all the credit of oh no of course I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, you would if things are going if things are going better then of course you're going to say well things are going better <laughs> regardless of whether there's anything to do with what you're doing the thing that experts will probably look at and point out is that the COVID recovery will be less than it otherwise could have been but that's kind of a counterfactual again um
0: yeah because i guess once you leave the european union you kind of it's hard it'll be it'll be hard to know exactly what once you've diverged you won't know exactly what you've lost in some sense and the further you get away from january 2020 the harder it is to measure that, yeah. I suppose.
1: I guess what is likely to happen is that the economy will be struggling, will continue, it might improve to some extent, but it'll still be struggling and it will continue to struggle for a long time. Uh, and that will, of course, eventually, uh, be, uh, eventually that will be seen as as being down to, brexit because we will be significant, the economic activity will still be significantly low what it what it used to be and other places will be recovering faster than us most likely because of the fallout from brexit um so those things will start to become clearer but certainly in, at the going into the summer um there's likely to be a post COVID bounce, and that is going to obviously be used by the government to say, look, things are fine. Brexit wasn't as disastrous as everybody said. Yeah, okay. It does depend on what <laughs> yeah. kind of disaster Brexit is because it's possible that, I mean, we, we, so much is uncertain about Brexit because sure. Brexit, something like Brexit has never happened before this kind of change has never happened before i mean I, you're looking back and thinking well when was this kind of when did this kind of rupture happen before this kind of of change in our relationship with our neighbors and yeah, you're well like in
0: peacetime to... you just wouldn't
1: Um. (laughs) you would sort of have to go back to I don't know it's almost like the Roman legions leaving in in 410 (laughs) um, AD so we just don't know the details of what's going to happen so it's possible that there will be very obvious Brexit related chaos that can be pointed to Um, but it is going to be difficult to say because this hasn't happened before in this country or anywhere else. Um, no country has left the European Union before. So it's so difficult to predict what would happen.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, and I just uh, quickly just wondered if we could turn a bit to the sort of, the, I guess, the internal UK politics mm-hmm. of, um, the, I guess, the concurrent <laughs> Brexit and uh, COVID-19. And... Firstly, with relation to the Labour Party, um, and I, so I sort of don't know if this is a fair criticism of Keir Starmer actually, because it's been so people have been saying he is not like so basically by abstaining, for instance, on the on on some of the COVID nineteen votes on the tier system, uh, that he is a bit wishy washy, um, and there's been some suggestion that with Labour's not entirely sure whether it's going to vote for a deal mm. or not and I, I just so it, the first one on the Brexit 19 on, on the COVID-19 sorry it Brexit seems 19, um no, no, God, yeah. <laughs> we've got our Brexited that uh, I put two yeah. words together. oh geez um I think I don't know but it feels to me like that's a bit unfair because they didn't stop the government didn't object to the tier system; they just objected to the way in which it was formulated.
1: He's obviously been criticised for it, as as happens. Um, and short term, it might make him look indecisive, uh, but certainly on COVID, not so. They didn't. So Labour abstained rather than voted against. Uh, and there's debate about if there is a deal, what they would, how, how they would then vote on it, um, whether they would... At the moment, it seems that Keir Starmer is inclined to want to whip to vote for it. But abs- I mean, abstaining will look, make you look indecisive, at least in the short term, but it also has the effect of making this 100% the Conservatives' thing.
0: Oh, so Boris and, and Michael Gove
1: so, and the, they'll
0: have to own it, right? If they're...
1: Yeah. Um, by not, obviously, voting against could actually have stopped the, the new tier system from coming into effect. Uh, oh, because of the Tory... Um... Because of the Tory rebellion. It's like, so was, it was a major Tory rebellion on the new uh, tier system. That rebellion is likely to have been much reduced if Labour had said they would vote against. Uh, because then the then Conservative MPs would have to have supported, voted with Labour, and they would have basically because Labour was saying that they were going to abstain, it was a free rebellion. They, Conservative MPs could rebel against the government, knowing that it would still go through.
0: So it's quite convenient for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's no. kind of it, kind of convenient for everybody. Uh, Tory back, backbenchers could throw their hissy fit, and Labour could say it's, it's this is a Conservative thing on on brexit we don't know what will happen um but i think the the calculation from Kier starmer in saying at least at the moment from what we understand he's inclined to want the party to vote for a deal uh which i think is a, people are there are people who are objecting to that in the Labour Party but I can see the logic of it in that he can say we supported having a deal because we want as close a possible relationship with the EU as possible so we we voted with the government to avoid no deal um, and you can you can sort of understand the logic of that um, that they they don't want to be they they The Labour Party want to be seen as maintaining as close a relationship with the European Union as possible.
0: Yeah, and then there's also, like, electorally, is this, so you're much more aware of the kind of the mechanics of Labour's electoral um Mm. (laughs) the the, the people who vote for it right I just want so in terms so obviously there's a lot of discussion at the moment about the kind of red wall seats right kind of Mm. northern seats in the UK that have gone Tory for the first time in decades right um and then so basically a big part of the Labour coalition fell off um and so by voting for a deal you could kind of use that to maybe bring those back and then the people who are I guess the other, another main part of the Labour Party's coalition, which is kind of big cities who mainly voted to remain, like they're unlikely to go and vote for the
1: Tories anyway. So. um, (laughs) And and, I mean, Labour has been catching up polling wise Um, ever since we had a leadership which seemed to know what it was doing labor has been catching up and is slightly overtaking in some polls now and they would obviously want to build on that um and they want to labor certainly wouldn't as a party would not want to vote against the deal um but they they would want to say we we voted this way to avoid further economic damage, especially because this economic damage is like to hit certain areas more than others i e those northern seats that they want to take back um, so I can understand why Kiestama is inclined to vote for it um because it's it's a consistent message that is respecting the results and it's also trying to minimise the damage of Brexit, yeah. right, by having some kind of deal.
0: And then almost sort of allows the party to move on, I guess, right? Full stop. We vote for the deal. Look to the... Few, right, so there's, uh, there's elections in the UK in May, uh, Mayoral and local elections. It yes. Almost allows them to go, we, we voted in the national interest and now we're here as an opposition that's...
1: Yeah. Uh, and this And this will still be... Whatever the Brexit outcome it is It is very easy for the Labour Party to show that it is the Conservatives' thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, this thing totally belongs to the Conservative Party. And obviously, the Conservative Party would want to spin any damage as being someone else's fault, because that's what parties do. But that is going to be an extremely hard sell, because... This has throughout, from the very beginning, this has been um, the Conservatives' Party's thing, and especially it has been Boris Johnson's thing. Obviously, he was the main leader of the Leave campaign. So from the very beginning, Brexit is his thing. Um, And any damage from it will belong to him, however much he might try and avoid taking responsibility for it. it. would be an it would be a profoundly difficult sell to try and convince anybody yeah i mean other than super partisans that any damage is not because it's not doesn't belong to him
0: yeah there's those great photos and videos of him kind of rolling through you know absolutely in the truck through
1: the brexit (laughs) um um, absolutely the whole getting brexit done with it is being done um and Obviously, what what we're seeing, at least anecdotally on social media, is the the line being laid is that the reason if there is no deal or whatever, however thin the deal any deal is going to be, the the line from those supporting leave is that the European Union was unreasonable. So, oh, so the laying the groundwork already yeah, for yeah, yeah. oh, well, okay. it's, it's happening already. Yeah, um, and but I. Th- it's it's going to be a difficult sell and most people who do not follow politics very very closely the main i think the main thing that will stick is that boris is brexit and brexit is boris
0: yeah it's his project right and then (laughs) and then
1: any any sort of debate about well what caused the damage how big is the damage there is damage um is going to be his and that's, I don't think anyone could spin their way out sure. of that.
0: Yeah. And actually, so that leaves us leads us quite well onto one of the last things that I wanted to uh, discuss with you before I let you go and enjoy your Saturday night, which was, um, so you've written actually about Boris and Boris Johnson and kind of yep. his future um, as a result of, uh, I guess, mainly as Brexit, right? But with kind of, I guess, this COVID-19 in the background and the sort of all the issues that that's um, highlighted. Um, so. And this is—I mean—it's very brave of you, right? Predictions in politics. What's your prediction with relation to Boris Johnson? In—in
1: uh, in brief, that he's running out of time. Um, and I say that for three reasons. Uh, one is that his usefulness as the leader of the of the Brexit faction is running out. Once we once we. once we go beyond the extension period, he will either no longer be necessary for those supporting Brexit. So that's obviously a significant section of the Conservative Conservative Parliamentary Party, which is very keen on Brexit and has supported Boris Johnson as the guarantor of the kind of Brexit they wanted. If they get that kind of Brexit, he's no longer useful. They might be grateful to him, but gratitude doesn't buy very much in politics. If he doesn't give them the kind of Brexit they wanted, then he has betrayed the cause and this again is no longer useful. So he will lose the support of his own party uh, because he's no longer necessary. Uh, he's also li- the the decline, the electoral decline of the Conservative Party is likely to continue as economic damage continues. That's going to reflect negatively on Boris Johnson because it's his damage. And the Conservative Party are notoriously impatient with people who look like losers. And then, of course, Brexit has caused a massive rise in support for uh, a second referendum on Scottish independence. Yeah. And as, as the, and, and I mean, if you look at the opinion polls, Boris Johnson is absolutely loathed in Scotland. Um, and he could not. I mean, if he basically, and it's not just a single poll, right? It's across. Its, no, 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 no. It's, it's not it's, like you get
0: an outlier where it's all no. Boris is unpopular. No. It's consistently. It's consistent. The and different it's, it's, companies, the different papers polling, and all.
1: It's consistent and it's massive. Obviously, there's always an uncertainty on some of these polls, but we're talking. I mean, he's, he's he's in the in the red in terms of of support for the job that he's doing by a lot. I mean something like minus 50 net approval rating in scotland uh so if so we're coming up to these uh scottish parliamentary elections in may next year that is likely to be a huge success for the separatist scottish national party and if that happens which is likely because of brexit then someone will have to fight for the survival of the united kingdom as a union and he can't be that person it's
0: hard it would be hard to imagine him doing that after yeah. all of that
1: <laughs> so so for those reasons he's less useful he is going to look like a liability for the party and he can't be the one to fight for the union he is going to be less and less useful for the conservative party uh, and there are obviously ambitious people always waiting in the wings for their turn so I would be surprised if he is still Prime Minister this time next year.
0: Okay, wow. Um, Yeah, so by Christmas
1: 2021. I would be be surprised if he's still the leader at that point. Because I think Brexit is going to make things happen very, very quickly. A lot is going to happen. And the government is going to struggle to deal with it he's already struggled to deal with COVID. they're running out of energy he's running out of energy um and so do you Scottish... think we'll have a
0: similar do you remember just before Theresa May was going right you had F, like oh another MPs put their letter into the yeah, 1922 it's to be, committee
1: it's it's going to be a growing wave of opposition to him as leader which always happens when you've been in power for a while, but because of COVID, because of Brexit, also because of the kind of politician that he is, this wave of opposition to him as leader is going to accelerate much faster than for a lot of other leaders. He has burned up so much political capital already that he is simply running out of road. Um, so, and as I said, once the Scottish elections have happened and the snp is standing there with a massive uh, democratic uh, mandate for independence that situation is going to escalate very quickly as well they will want to if the snp will want to capitalize on that as soon as possible you know strike whilst the iron is hot so there's just going to be a lot of things happening at the same time which will tie in together will escalate uh, the damage to him as, as prime minister that is, I think it's just going to, it's going to happen quite quickly.
0: So it's already Things baked are, in moving forward. The, it is the already the, baked
1: in and yeah. it's only going to get worse. So yeah, I think the end is probably going to come surprisingly quickly for prime minister Boris Johnson would okay. be my prediction
0: all right then fantastic uh, well not fantastic if you boris johnson but <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting
1: times fantastic interesting yes.
0: times okay um i did um plan to have a bit more of a discussion around um the kind of the future of the union as a whole but it feels like it's more of a, a podcast episode in and of itself yeah
1: um there's it, it so much is. more to say uh and i mean yeah i mean too long didn't read the union is in trouble so yeah um, sure yeah <laughs> uh yeah yeah
0: um so just before we wrap up is there anything any kind of final points that to make or
1: only that as i think i mentioned earlier that this situation is extremely unpredictable uh we might get some clarity over the next few days about what kind of deal may or may not happen uh but even then the consequences of a lack of deal or a managed no deal or some kind of deal the consequences are going to be very very unpredictable so british politics is going to continue to be very volatile and probably i would imagine that politically uh 2021 is one is—I mean, god it's been so volatile already for all sorts of reasons but i don't think the volatility has peaked yet i think so
0: it's going to continue um, i think
1: political volatility in uk is going to continue and probably only escalate in 2021 because of of multiple factors coming together
0: and the tensions of and then i guess there's i mean at some point all the the support around the economy is going to have to or is going to be drawn back right whether it has yep. to be as a, i guess another discussion i'm not an economist so uh, but it will be and and that will i guess inevitably also feed into volatility yes um, okay fantastic thank you very much robin it was uh, brilliant to have you on My the pleasure. podcast again and uh, we will when boris johnson resigns we'll have you back on um, again if, if not before um, so thank you very much